Unmuzzled. Hey, this is episode number 77 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on the show, we take an hour or so to discuss the week's most interesting science and tech news, and we're glad you're all here today. Uh, I'm joined, as usual, by Nick Maddox and Mike Cottrell. How are you guys doing? What the hell was that, Rob? feel very free today. Don't, what, don't what do you mean by that, Nick? Hey, instead of hello? You always start <laughs> the show with, Hello! Welcome to the latest episode of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Here, I'm here with Weenie in the butt to discuss, to Wait, discuss your fluffiest news stories from the week of science and technology. Why did I become a disc jockey? Thanks to Audible.com for letting us talk about cell phones for a slightly, slightly above zero amount of money. <laughs> now let's get started. Am, am I Weenie or the butt? <laughs> oh, man. So... I'm sorry, I hadn't I hadn't planned that ahead of time. No. But man, just flowed. Nick, you had that you had that ready to go. Um we're trying I should mention we're trying something a little bit different than usual this week in that we normally load we normally front load what Nick refers to as fluffier news stories at the beginning of the episode this week we're uh, going to try something slightly different as you'll see. Um but I don't think uh, your reaction and your your radio jockey voice that was <laughs> that was that made me sad inside <laughs> why is that rob i hope i'm aiming for more of a cgp gray type of thing more <laughs> cgp gray and less hot 89.9 morning show exactly <laughs> oh, okay is that is hot 89.9 a thing everywhere no no okay i think hot is, is a, a pretty big brand but hot 89.9 yeah. is ottawa specific Okay, so it depends. They didn't buy that particular slice of spectrum everywhere. No, <laughs> no, I don't believe so. That would be so. a good play, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we had a story that we wanted to at least reach out to anyone listening. Um, when when it came up right before we started recording, that Nick is using Firefox, Mozilla Firefox browser on Linux, and Mike and I were commenting that. He might be perhaps the only person on earth right now using that browser on that operating system. And so I wanted to, to reach out to our listeners and say, if, if you're listening to this and you're using either Firefox or Linux, please let us know because that's very interesting. But if you're using both like Nick is, holy moly, please reach out to us because <laughs> we need to get you in Nick's support group for those people. <laughs> you guys, oh, just, man. you're the best. Yes. Aren't you though? Aren't you just? Yes. So, Nick, <laughs> you have a couple pieces of follow-up this week. I do. Uh, why don't you get to the one you like the most? Have we actually talked about my pepper plant on I Future think Chat? so. I'm sure we have. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I had one that died. Very sad. Yes. I'm actively learning how to deal with gardening in Alberta with all the very, very, very peaty potting mixes that seem to be here. Okay. And so that one died, got a pest problem, couldn't recover, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm using one that was growing in the Southwest, courtesy of a relative of Kaya's. And I'm looking at it right now. Mm -hmm. And it's doing so much better. Like it's, it's got a bunch of shoots that have just shot right out from the main body of the pepper that grew all summer. And I'm looking at it and going, why on earth did I even bother putting it outside this summer because i mean back home i'm used to saying oh you know well they will grow fine inside in a window or something but 
if I just put it outside in natural sunlight, it'll do so much better. I don't know that that's the case in Calgary for a more tropical plant. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets it gets cold at night, and I think that severely hinders growth of a tropical plant. Makes sense. Yeah. And so it's actually flowering for the second time this summer. It dropped all its flowers uh, after transplanting because that's kind of hard on plants. Mm-hmm. But it's, well, got, it's hard on everyone. It's got but... flower buds everywhere now. And I just, what the hell was I doing all summer? I should have just left it <laughs> in the southern window we have. I guess so. Where the temperature there... is slightly less prone to fluctuation. Are there peppers yet? Like the fruit? No. No. Um, mm. If it produces fruit in this window that will be the first time it's done so since its birth nice so nick i hope you will take a photograph of your beautiful flowering pepper and so i can put it in the notes because i hope so too i I know i've seen pictures of your pepper this is a lot of peas i know i've seen pictures of your pepper before but you've seen pictures of my pepper previously i don't think i've seen it flowering you've perceived pictures of my pepper previously (laughs) I didn't perceive any, no. I saw You'd like them. to see the production of the pepper, yes. which you have previously <laughs> perceived. Um, so, Nick, what's your next story about? Is it about power? <laughs> <It's> about <laughs> power perception? Power production uh, in my yes. province. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we talked about energy production a long time ago. And I was talking about how much I loved this one website from the Canadian Nuclear Society. And they're, they obviously have just a touch of a vested interest because they want to show where the power generation comes from in Ontario and how much CO2 uh, the nuclear reactors are offsetting. Right. And so we've looked at that a bunch. I look at, the, I look at it all the time just to get a sense of... Uh, what the power generation statistics are like. Right. But do you guys have the link there? Have you, have you opened it? I have it open right now. Yeah. They've come out with the energy or the electricity generation statistics for Alberta and I'm looking at it and by gum, is that depressing? It's very depressing. Does nuclear fall under other in this case? There's none. There's no nuclear in Alberta at all. Okay. It's even, yeah. Okay. So when I keep saying that, that Alberta needs to get off its ass and build a nuke. That's why, Rob. Mm-hmm. They have nothing. Okay. What is the other? Because that's yeah. even more than hydroelectricity. I'm really curious about what other is because this appears to be a new site because they don't have like the the Ontario site has the statistics from the past 48 hours, but this doesn't appear to have that yet. Right. Probably at least in part because it's all coal and that's pretty like the only thing that would have a significant fluctuation would be wind. And that doesn't account for a whole Even then. A lot. It's yeah. Terrible. Cause coal is four gigawatts. Gas is three and a half gigawatts. Oh, looks like there's biomass and other is one of the charts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And wind is 0.8 gigawatts. Right. It's like, God bless them, they're trying, but you're not even hitting 10% yet. Yeah. If you've ever hit, uh, or if you've ever been in the far south of Ontario, or not Ontario, Alberta, uh, wind is not as uncommon as you might think. It's super windy down there, and that's where there's just a ton of 
um, what do you call them? Windmills. If you actually turbines, really, but yeah. If you actually swapped the words Ontario and Alberta in your last statement, (laughs) you would have exactly the same thing. Yeah. If you go down to southwestern Ontario, there's a big stretch of the 401 that's just like you're driving for, I think, a good 10 minutes at least, and it's all windmills. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah. There's some. So I'm looking at Ontario's nuclear capacity at Bruce, Pickering, Darlington. Wait, Pickering and Darlington might be the same. Anyway, Ontario's nuclear capacity at its three generating stations. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's more power than Alberta generates in some total. That's a lot. More people. That's, uh, That's crazy. There's more people in Ontario, though. It's a lot more people and a lot more heavy industry. But my point in saying this is that it's possible. Like, you could build a a nuke in Alberta, which would replace all the coal and all the off-peak gas. Huh. Except for, uh, like, there is a a generating station. Well, it's not really a generating station, just uh, east of here a couple blocks. Right. It produces all the hot water for Inglewood Ramsey and a few kind of buildings around downtown. And Max does it. Right. And I mean, that's just, that's hot water produced from gas. And that's, I can kind of see the argument for that. It's hard to replace that with electrical at yeah significant or at uh, non-prohibitive prices. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we could get rid of all that coal. We could improve the the air quality for the entire province but eh. right well the the thing that i note here the difference between the two doesn't even seem to be so much like obviously nuclear is a big part of ontario's but ontario if there is coal it's in a tiny other slice that's not even visible on the pie chart um it's like it's just a non-existent blip if i forget any at all i forget when exactly you got to ontario but uh, that was a big thing with dalton mcginney's first term as premier of ontario he said that he wanted to get rid of all the coal generation in Ontario. And uh, mm. part of what he did it with was initiatives towards, what's it, uh, efficiency. Okay. So the Ontario government was big on taking away your old uh, refrigerator and stuff like that for a while. Right. And you got, you got uh, rebates for buying more energy efficient appliances and stuff like that. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I think we could do it also as bad. Yeah, as bad as the sort of like we have. I don't know if you guys if Alberta has the same thing because I wasn't an adult when I lived there. But uh, we have like on peak hydro or electric electricity costs more. And as stupid as I think that is, it's a good disincentive for people to use electricity when they're going to be home like that. The sort of 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. hours like that's they disincentivize you from using electricity in that time by making you pay more for it yeah um they have a cash grab but they have that for some commercial contracts i think here but for residential they don't they don't operate with that right they'll have like a daily you can either be on a variable rate or fixed rate pricing for your energy depending Mm -hmm. on the day um but it's not uh or sorry on the month i think i think it changes each month if you're on the variable rate but it doesn't fluctuate throughout the day depending on your time that you use it right so I'm going to – people who are interested in this kind of stuff, I'm going to put a link to both the Alberta and the Ontario one because they're interesting. Okay. 
Uh, okay. Now, uh, I guess this, I'm going to say this is our big topic this week. Um, was it, it was only this week that the cabinet was announced, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like time is just passing super slowly in my mind. Um, we got a new federal cabinet in Canada with our new government being elected. And, uh, we, the three of us are all pretty excited about it, even though me saying it, I sound pretty low key. That's because I've had some time to process this. But, uh, Mike, you were saying that you feel, even you feel free. Like you, you yelled freedom at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. I was the whole bamboozle of the Harper government. Like it was something to be truly ashamed of being mm-hmm. in Canada. And like, I just saw article after article being written of how undemocratic and ridiculous the whole system was. And, you know, CBC did multiple documentaries on it and scientists themselves came out and said, like, we are literally being muzzled. And yeah. that was an exaggeration. There were, there were actually articles published in the journals Science and Nature about how terrible Canada's policy was. Yeah. Right. And that's embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. If you're a scientist and like, you know, the journals which would publish the best of the best of your work ever are going, yeah, by the way, Canada, get it together. You're like, oh man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But no, it's, it's been amazing to see how quickly this change has come. Like I was saying before, it's not, it's not like it took, you know, a year, year and a half to start this process. It was effective immediately. Scientists are free to speak. Right. About their work. And that's, we're extrapolating just a little bit because this is based on a meeting that they had at department of fisheries and oceans. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's all I wanted to get in there. Yeah, okay. but the the unmuzzling is effective immediately. Like they did it yeah. verbally because they wanted to expedite the message. They wanted scientists right. to know that they could talk about their work. Yeah, and and, and it, they were encouraged. There wasn't really an official policy, right? Exactly. To, That's the best part. Well, there was there was an official policy to muzzle them, in which mm-hmm. you had to go through your communications officer yeah. or something like that. And I don't know if you had this, Rob, but we had a communications officer at nrc like he came in about when i was leaving and just disgusted with how things were going he was yeah he he came in midway through my term and okay we all kind of whispered to each other what does he actually do like he put up some tvs in in the lobby which are running a slideshow but what does a communications (laughs) officer do in nrc and then it became apparent later that Oh God, this is actually terrible. Yeah. But it's happening. Right. So at this point, I think it would be, it's nice to have a communications officer because like the media has gotten so important getting in getting your message out, but it's important to have a communications officer that is like, has some scientific background, isn't hired by government to talk about government talking points. Um, One of the things that I have seen, like the, the muzzling thing, like if you, if you go and watch the documentaries that have been made by the CBC and I think the fifth estate did a really good one that we talked about in our, uh, our episode from last summer. The silence of the labs. Yes. Yeah. yeah, That's the one. I think I watched that one after that show. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's not, it wasn't, it's not illegal to talk about your, your, your work, but if you did so, you would lose funding and, and or lose your job. And so 
the liberal government turning around and saying, we're not going to do that. You, you should talk about your work. We encourage you to share your findings and we're going to fund science properly. Uh, like it's, it's just a good sign. And it's something that you can do immediately. It's something you can get into government and say, listen, so scientists share your work. We know you've been literally muzzled by, by the previous government. And I don't know if you guys heard about this, but the, Canadian embassies, like our foreign affairs workers, people in other countries, have gotten the same message. They got a memo from the Trudeau government oh, saying, yeah. you can also talk. Like, we encourage you. Everything used to have to go through the Canadian government in Canada uh, under Harper, but now people are um, foreign people. Um, I, I don't know what the words are because I'm not it's not my specialty knowing about this kind of stuff. Like I just heard about it, but basically people in our foreign embassies are now able to communicate openly, like basically do their own diplomats. That's, that's the word. Uh, they're able to go through and discuss foreign policy with foreign leaders and, and other people directly. They don't have to go through the Canadian government to make sure they're doing their, their job properly, according to what the Harper government wanted. And I just think, like obviously if these people are people we've chosen to send to other countries to to be to represent Canada why why are we not trusting them to actually do that now yeah. in fairness rob they're not necessarily free in their interactions they've no. been encouraged to be energetic and friendly with international media and yes. i'm not sure that's that's the freedom that we want for our diplomats rob <laughs> Some days maybe they yeah. don't want to be energetic and friendly. What then? That's what that's then? True. What if you have a bad day? Yeah, this is as bad as Harper. <laughs> so, there's a couple points here that I thought were interesting that were based on some quotations from uh, who was it? Just the guy that was being interviewed in this article. Oh, Sword Swordfager, I think. Mm -hmm. Um. So a couple points was that. Scientists would be allowed to speak freely about their work, quote unquote, with only limited and publicly stated exceptions. So whatever those might be, I don't know if it's like, say there's like an Ebola outbreak in Canada. That's the kind of thing that you'd want to kind of figure out what's going on before scientists just came out and said stuff, right. possibly. Like, yeah. But the government would say, we are currently not, you know, commenting on this at the moment. We'll release a statement whenever kind of thing. I'd imagine that'd be a situation where you wouldn't just want everyone just kind of saying right. stuff without yeah. coming up with a game plan and then the other thing was it said that scientists will talk about science they're not really in a position to talk about things beyond their scientific purview so right. again that's i don't know if it's kind of like a reading between the lines kind of thing but it's like if it's about your work and your results and talk about it otherwise you're not really needed to comment on it right so but i think what that means is in in public statements to the media they can talk about other things just not like why would you go to a, like a chemist for some kind of political science story it's you don't necessarily you wouldn't want their opinion so it's like government like government workers public service people are supposed to remain objective politically and so i think that's what that is getting to is that you wouldn't want them you still want them to remain objective politically, but when we're talking about science, when we're talking about their work, they are free and encouraged to share mm -hmm. any details they have about it with the media. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like they're supposed they're supposed to keep to their areas of expertise, which mm -hmm. I'm not 
like I'm not jumping for joy over the restriction, but it makes sense mm-hmm. in that, I mean, you wouldn't go to like you wouldn't go to my old boss who is the head of the forensic document analysis section and say, oh, hey, so uh, what does your data say about the uh, the population in the cod fishery? Mm-hmm. Like Luke's going to be like, well, that's not my my expertise. And right. that makes sense. Like you can freely speak to your area of subject matter expertise. But mm-hmm. other than that, I guess they're asking you to withhold speculation. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Always not useful. an expert in the field. Yeah. Which is something I think you should just do anyway. But yep. yeah. Or at least feel like because I'm imagining when you say that you wouldn't phrase it as speculating you would or the media wouldn't phrase it as speculation they would say this top government scientist says this about this exactly they would go to luke and say senior government scientist says he's not crazy about mercedes-benz but he really likes his espresso and sushi (laughs) (laughs) yes oh man it was funny because i did Uh, that xkcd thing when i was researching corrosion it's like this just in leading that na- or leading national expert on stainless steel crevice corrosion cannot find his effing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little off topic details. Yes. But so this is like, I gotta say, Oh, we're, we haven't gotten to, okay. By the time story number four comes around, I got a, I got a little monologue to go on. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's go, let's go to the second part of this, which is, um, well, the link specifically is a story from Gizmodo, which is kind of, it's not specifically Canadian focused, but kind of everyone around the world and the States obviously being closest to us covers it the most, um, kind of just, it's interesting to get other places perspectives on this change. And so it's this story about, uh, about the cabinet and about all of the science focused or science adjacent ministers in our in the new cabinet oh my Um, god right there are two of them (laughs) well and then there's also like the environment now also has climate change in there which is a huge part of yeah science that's coming out it's uh it's really a refreshing change to see more people sort of monitoring or at least kind of heading scientific direction as opposed to having one person uh, who was called, for instance, the Minister of Industry being in charge of a lot of science funding and having the the minister's name now be, or the title now be Ministry of Innovation, Science and Economic Development, that is a little more well-rounded. It still has that tinge of, you know, it's this is also industry and we're trying to make money for Canada, mm-hmm. but we're trying to do it in a way that involves science and research innovation as opposed to just being focused on industry yeah <laughs> it's it's you interesting can't see the face nick is making <laughs> it's interesting coming from being a in alberta b in calgary and c actually working in oil and gas mm-hmm. and talking to people especially about the federal politics and everyone's like oh hopefully harper stays oh everyone else is so anti whatever oh climate change this whatever and you know, climate change is one of those issues that's still very murky as far as mm-hmm. what the data is telling us, but we're trying to act in murky? a way. Is it? Wait, 
It's it, well, no, like the data isn't murky, but we're we're drawing conclusions and acting on data that we only have however far back that we're we're kind of preparing for a worst case scenario, saying if the climate change is primarily human driven and we have enough effect to reverse it, then we'll act on that versus waiting a thousand or two thousand years to see if that's actually the case. But Mike, why what wouldn't if, you do that? No, but that, what that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm what saying. If we make, there, what if we make a better world for ourselves <laughs> and it turns out to be all for naught? No, that, that, no what, that's what, what I'm saying. It's, it's the worst case scenario is that we act on it and it, the world's better anyway. That's, that's my point is that the responsible even thing. Even in the best case, people are going to be like millions of people are going to be displaced and like they're going to be right. these oh, far reaching effects. If you guys time. let me finish, that's where I was going with it. Nope, nope, is that not happening. The pros outweigh <laughs> the drop cons. The hammer on you, Mike. Sitting on the it hammer and not of doing justice anything in about future it. Chat. So, what, what, <laughs> the the point was was even aside from the fact that I am directly affected, and if you know economic policy goes the way of you know basically snuffing out oil and gas industry, then mm. I'd still rather see that if it's based on responsible science and right and policy versus just turning a blind eye and be like, Oh no, oh, can't hear you. Can't hear you. And not acting on it. Like the, the, yeah. the scientist in me can't live like that, even right. though I'm directly involved in it. And it's in my best interest for that type of policy to not be around. Mm-hmm. Like the oil and gas industry, I don't think is going anywhere. It might just no. shift Yeah, in that we still have millions or even possibly billions of gas powered cars we have um like plastics is all yeah. based on oil Petroleum, like it's not yeah. i was gonna say oil and gas anywhere. isn't totally gonna die if only for plastics and polymers yeah like it's just gonna be less of a giant industry oh man and pharmaceuticals yeah yeah but, yeah for sure yeah so so that's the thing but just more in a general sense i'd rather yeah. see responsible science being done mm-hmm. than looking out for my own self-interest yeah it's uh we have a long way to go because maybe not the whole time Harper was in power things were kind of being undone but it was a very slow trickle that kind of built up steam and just steamrolled over everything. Yeah. But uh yeah, it'll be with all of these new very powerful people being in in charge of kind of writing the ship, I think we're going to see a lot of positive changes come fairly quickly as we've already seen. I'm uh for one, I I feel like half sarcastically being like, "Hey, Ansark, um, the new government's been in power for like two weeks now. When am I going to get my job back?" <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll wait a while for that. <laughs> Mainly because there's a couple things that I'm working on with them, anyways. So there's no reason to get snarky about it. <laughs> um, so did you guys have anything else you want to say on the? the cabinet specifically because there's a couple of things around this that i still wanted to talk about um there's one here uh there's been a lot of talk on the internet a lot of memes about our new defense minister and uh basically to start how much of a badass he is and like just going through his cv you're just like wow this guy is amazing um and i learned that or i was going through a lot and people were saying you know, typically in the military, you can't have a beard. And this guy has an amazing beard. He sure does. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and the people were saying the main reason that you can't, you're not supposed to or can't have a beard in the military is because you you often acquired to wear gas masks in order to possibly save your life or stop inhaling dangerous things when you're in 
um, war zones or in inactive military areas. And so it turns out our defense minister has patented a gas mask that can be used regardless of his beard because he, like, I don't know the exact, like, I'm not too familiar with, uh, I guess you'd call it Sikhdom, but he, he's Sikh and they, like, they cherish their, their facial hair. And so he, and I think it's cherishing. I think it's more just, well, exactly. But I don't know. Religious significance. Exactly. And so, um, he, he patented a gas mask, mask that works with his beard and worked with beards in general. And I just think that's the coolest thing ever. He's like, no, you know what? I can't accept this. Uh, I'm not going to shave for this, but I will develop this technology so that we can like, cause he realizes the value of having a gas mask and one that actually has a proper seal. And so he, he did it. <laughs> I just thought it was really, I gotta, uh, I gotta say with, interesting. with our ministry, like mm-hmm. I look at a lot of the, the new cabinet and like I, I looked at the old one and went, you know, well, we've got a lot of these MPs and they haven't really done much of anything. They're just, you know, they decided to run this way and they got it. Like, yep. especially from back home, there are a lot of, a lot of disc jockeys that were elected for the longest while. Mm-hmm. And I look at our new cabinet, especially people like, oh, what's his name? Harjeet Sajan. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and I go, what have I ever done? <laughs> ever what what significant thing have i ever accomplished looking yeah. at our cabinet oh yeah. and there's a lot of them like that have you seen true. have you seen the picture of the gas mask yeah yeah oh it's great yeah, it's crazy and i'll put a link so people can uh can see it as well but yeah it's it's awesome uh so the last thing mike you have in here is uh talking about the census yeah this and this just happened in the last couple of days right or last uh, it was just announced. Yeah, like I had heard about that it was one of their first orders of business, and I think yeah. just a couple of days ago they officially reinstated it. And it's similar to the unmuzzling, where you just kind of have to say, "Okay, we're going to start doing this again." I was like, "Okay," and then that well, was this it. is <laughs> this is one of those things that they can actually do, and just you know, telling the public service, "Oh, hey, this is what's going to happen going forward." Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So for those <laughs> for those unaware of the census like they have the normal census that they do i think you basically do it when you fill out your taxes don't you or it's around they, that no. same time some of that information what's that what were you gonna say nick it's it's separate the census was oh, it the, a separate thing well are we talking said, the census or the voluntary long-form survey which i would then the first one <laughs> the census the census yeah. where it's is, like how many kids in the distinct. household yeah oh is yeah it? it's it's like I, I had to do it once. It it's got a bunch of strange questions. One of one of which I remember being on this day, like exactly this day, how many people are in your house, even if they're visiting? Interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Like it it's huh. designed to capture a snapshot in time. Right. Right. Like, you know, travel and stuff like that can be extrapolated from that. Right. Huh. Yeah. So either way, the non long form census is just like three questions essentially to capture very basic oh, yeah. demographic representation. Whereas the long form, which Harper decided that wasn't necessary anymore. And everyone except for him was like, what, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> it it captures a lot more and actually helps out a lot of agencies that rely on that data to allocate services and, and that kind of thing. It give insight into if there's, if their services are actually helping. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so that's part of the the science focus of of the liberal government now is to reinstate that. And it's it, mm. it is an investment because yeah, it does cost money to issue it, and it's a pain in the butt for people to fill out. But it does a lot more good for Canada than to not do it at all. Yeah, and one of the sort of thing themes that runs across this entire conversation is that it seemed like, and maybe maybe it wasn't specifically this, but it seemed like under the old government. It was just like, oh, you know, data doesn't matter. We'll just we'll we'll assume things and we'll we'll figure it out. Whereas, like, obviously, on the face of it, that's just a terrible policy. But like, getting rid of scientific data about climate change, shuttering uh, all kinds of environmental research, getting rid of the census, like, it's just like we don't need this data. We'll just we'll just guess and go with our gut on whatever policies we want to implement. And uh, the liberals are just like, no, we should get data so that we actually have sort of information-based decision-making and it's just it's a positive step no matter how you look at it It, putting something like the census in ostensibly the conservatives got rid of it to save money because it's useless and is expensive but from the point of view of sort of long-term planning it's incredibly useful to have that information even if it's not looked at in a year or two years, if it's looked at five or 10 years down the road or a hundred years down the road, like it's, it's very useful information to have. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to jump in and say the reason that the census died ostensibly is that Harper, the, the publicly communicated rationale anyway, was that if you don't fill out the mandatory long form census or at that point, there was a prison sentence associated with it. And mm-hmm. so the publicly communicated thing was it just doesn't make sense to send someone to jail if they don't fill out a census survey. And I remember the big criticism of that was that, you know, <laughs> since they started the census, and I think that would have been ba- like back around the time of Confederation, like since mm-hmm. they started this long form census, no one has ever gone to jail for not filling it out. Things have escalated to the first and second steps of not filling out the census, but no one has ever stared down a five-year prison sentence and said, no, I will take this five years of my life because I don't want to fill out this 10-minute survey. Yeah. You can even half-ass the survey. Like, they're not going to check. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it'll just be considered an outlier if your answers are completely out to lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we have a friend that she did her master's in stats or something like that. Or she did a lot of stats work in her university career. And she actually said like Canada was a world leader in statistics on its own citizenry. And stats can was, you know, a world leader in this kind of data acquisition and processing. And now it's just gone. Like it's just, you killed it right. with one fell swoop because if it's not mandatory, then it's not reliable data. Right. And so I'm just so happy. Like <laughs> the, my, my main concern with this election was like starting out, it was the muzzling of scientists and the long form census and just evidence-based practices in general. Yep. And after that, like the funding of science and technology. And it's just with the exception of funding, I'm looking at it and it's just, it's all happened. I'm just so happy. <laughs> yeah. 
they just sense. they've just looked at the situation and gone, this doesn't make sense. We should fix that, and then they just fixed it. Yeah, just just yeah. because. Yeah, I was I was worried when they came in that it's like I was holding my breath for the changes to happen, and I was I was hoping I wouldn't be proven wrong that they take you know half their term to actually put them into practice or that they wouldn't come at all, but. I think they're they're showing very intentionally that they're sticking to their their platform promises and and making change right away. Yeah. Hashtag and real yeah. change. We'll see if they can keep up the meaningful change and like I don't think anybody is just with no sort of thought in the back of their mind that maybe this could change and like everyone's has their eyes open because we've been dealing with 10 years under pretty objectively terrible policies but i think everyone has seen so far during the campaign and up to the first couple weeks i think everyone's seeing that so far it seems like it's just across the board great it's uh, hard to have something bad to say about it so the benefit of the honeymoon phase i mean if you can get as much done in the honeymoon phase as possible then more power to you i like that it seems that they actually genuinely care about the issues they campaigned on just because it's like no no like we actually really need the census and we need it back as soon as humanly possible. So we're just going to go ahead and pound that in as soon as we humanly can. Right. And I mean, it's too late for 2015, but get ready 2016 long form <laughs> census. <laughs> I, have I told you guys that I started intentionally filling out surveys now? Like when, yeah. when, when people ask me, like when I buy something and then they email me saying, oh, how do you think of your experience, whatever, I I want to fill those out because I like being a part of data and, and I see the value in it. And it's like, right. if I want a better product, why wouldn't I tell them how, what I think of it? So that even if I liked it or didn't like it, at least they know that and they can use that for whatever they want. Right. There was, nope, nope, train of thought's gone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I filled out the Soylent survey. Yeah, I, I did too. I did that this yeah. morning. Oh, okay. I remember now. Uh, <laughs> they actually, uh, in one of our friend's classes, they told her, the prof told them that they shouldn't themselves fill out the voluntary household survey because disproportionately uh, wealthier individuals or better off individuals are more likely to fill out s- such surveys. And okay. so I said, you know, if we keep filling it out as we will, all the data is going to be skewed towards people who are well off and it's going to look like we're doing okay when we're actually not capturing all the data. And so surprise, surprise, mm-hmm. a bunch of university educated pre- progressive thinkers like filling out surveys and appreciate <laughs> the importance of data. Wait, if it's mandatory, hopefully that would get rid of some of that. But that's yeah. that's the thing. It's a concern. Yeah. Who was it was saying that you shouldn't fill it out? A university professor to remove the data bias. But that's not a bias it, if it's actually represent. Oh, you're saying it's not representative though, because right. yeah, right. Hmm. Hmm. It's an interesting thought, but yeah. yeah, make it mandatory and then that goes away. The benefit is that we don't have to worry about such things anymore. Hopefully, right. right. <laughs> That's the plan. All right. uh, Why don't we switch gears here for a bit? Mike, you have just the words BlackBerry Priv in here. (laughs) Uh, BlackBerry released a new phone. It's Android based. Uh, What did you you want to say about it? I I think it's interesting because 
we hadn't heard from BlackBerry since they released the Z10 yeah. line. It was more conventional smartphone focus versus their previous offerings where there wasn't a touchscreen. Actually, the the one that before they had the touchscreen, but it still had the main physical keyboard as the focus of the phone. The Z10 didn't. The Q10 did. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the Z10 yeah. was was fully touchscreen. Right. Their previous phones, like the Bold and whatever. And then yep. I think even the future iterations after the bold, they had they started coming up with the touchscreen, but they still had the physical keyboard um, and the little mousy trackpad type thing as as integrated into the phone. But this is the first time they've gone away with doing their BlackBerry OS as what powers the phone, and they've gone with Android and hoping mm-hmm. to win back some BlackBerry users that switched over to Android or iOS because of the weaknesses of the BlackBerry system. And they're also trying to keep their current BlackBerry users happy because, again, the BlackBerry OS was lacking in a lot of ways. And a big thing was just the app ecosystem was paltry, like really very, very sad. And even if there was a BlackBerry app, it wasn't well supported. It was very buggy. It just was very limited in what it could do. So people, you know, BlackBerry users and non-BlackBerry users alike, they'd go more towards iOS or Android. So they're trying with this phone, the BlackBerry Priv, to keep their BlackBerry users happy by integrating privacy with their uh, Bez capabilities. And I'm not sure if they have any other additional privacy uh, elements in it, but I know just in general, their their BlackBerry enterprise ser- uh, system is or server is very secure. So if they have incorpor- incorporated that into it with also the Android operating system with the apps and functionality, then ideally you've created a phone that appeals to potentially everyone. Right. So I I don't know if you guys looked at much of the reviews or kind of articles on this. Uh, the link that I came across is a Crackberry link, and they're right. obviously very BlackBerry focused. So it's interesting. <laughs> yes. It's interesting to just read the review from a BlackBerry blog versus you know a Wired or a Verge type blog that's going to compare it to an iPhone or that kind of thing. Right. Um, and I don't know. It's. I like the idea of the phone. I think it's appealing to me in the same way that a Windows phone would be appealing to me, where it's is different and it's trying to do something that no one else is doing. Yeah. Um, so I, do you guys think that this is going to be successful and keep BlackBerry in business? Or is this kind of the last gasp before it tapers off into nothingness? I'll give you my two cents and say this is actually a cell phone that I'm interested in based oh. on the what <laughs> I know I'm I'm as shocked as you are <laughs> I just skimmed through the article as Mike was talking about it was like ooh yeah it's, it's that's interesting yeah it's it's actually a good phone what what about it I I'm well, very curious. I mean, a reason to stay away from BlackBerry strictly in general was that the app environment was terrible. Mm-hmm. Just awful. I mean, unless you are forced to use it for business purposes, why on earth would you use it? But the things that <clears throat> sorry, the things that BlackBerry were legendary for were privacy and the physical keyboard, and they've right. managed to incorporate that into an albeit uh, staggered Android environment. Like it's it's not the latest Android environment that it's releasing with, so I guess the right. updates that way will be staggered. But I know I it, I like having a physical keyboard, and I like the the privacy stuff, and that's just it's hmm. it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like 
this would be a more sustainable uh a more sustainable avenue for blackberry to try and go for just because i mean if you're trying to compete with android and ios like you're bringing a knife to a gunfight and that gunfight is amid titans yeah like you're just you're not going to carve out a good enough market share unless you're going mm-hmm. for premium pricing premium product this is so weird to me. Can I just say that? <laughs> I'm, I feel I'm like shocked I'm too. Crazy pills. <laughs> I I don't even know what to say. Like I've <clears throat> I've been working basically full time for mobile syrup this week, and so I've been writing and I've wrote a number of things on BlackBerry on this new phone and the stuff that's underlying it. And <clears throat> yes, it is. There's a focus on security on privacy and. The one thing that they have done to really differentiate themselves from other Android phones is to add a bunch of security features on top of regular old Android. And But I don't know if you can sell to that niche of a market unless they're kind of retargeting enterprise. Which I don't is, know if there's a market I'm certain for that. that's what they're going for because that's always been their bread and butter. I mean, the first, this first smartphone ever phenomenon notwithstanding – it's always been enterprise mm-hmm. that's propped them up. That's the only thing that's kept them, you know, kept them in the mix this long. Right. But enterprise is starting to shift more towards iOS kind of thing just because they need that functionality. Yeah. yeah. It's bizarre. This phone is bizarre to me. I, I want nothing to do with a physical key. Like I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts about technology. And so I hear all these things about new keyboards coming out that are thinner than ever and they have very little key travel which apparently is important to people (laughs) but my the key the less travel my keyboards have the better i feel about it like i way prefer my macbook air keyboard to the keyboard that i'm using right now on my desktop and really i feel like my priorities are just very different from most people like i really like typing on my ipad software keyboard I I don't know if it's something different about the way my brain has kind of adapted to technology, but I I type much faster on a software keyboard than I ever did on a hardware keyboard. Huh? Yeah. I, are we, what's happening? Nick's all excited about this new cell phone and Rob (laughs) wants nothing to do with it. I don't think like I personally have no benefit. I'm not trying to any. Anything that I do with my phone, I'm not trying to necessarily keep private with the exception maybe of text messages, which are like on iOS, they're encrypted anyways. And with regular SMS messages, there's no encryption whatsoever. And any, like even the priv, if you're using an SMS, it's not protected in any way because it just goes up to the cell tower. Like if you're using BBM, obviously they have their super encryption whatever they have i don't pay too much attention to bbm (laughs) but if you're going to use this for for privacy obviously that that's going to be important to you but for me it just it means nothing although in in fairness in defense of blackberry my understanding is that the biggest secret you've kept in the past five years is the name for unwind media before that was unveiled that was security by obscurity, though, I would say. Yeah, but I mean, you, I don't think you've had the security concerns that come with, I don't know, 
I don't want to sound belittling, but like higher profile work, perhaps. Yeah. No, I agree. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, industrial espionage is a big thing, and you've yeah. never really had to worry about that on a personal level. Right. No, I haven't. Well, and, and also just a lot of, yeah, a lot of companies will just require a level of privacy from their employees that have their devices. So if this satisfies those requirements, regardless of the reason for that requirement, then that's kind of what they're going after. And before yeah. BlackBerry might have been the only one that was able to offer that, that level of privacy, I guess. Uh, right. I Honestly, I'm more excited just for their approach to the Android experience versus the phone itself. Mm-hmm. And like some of the features of their launcher look kind of cool. And they have this thing called, I think they call it pop-up widgets or pop-up widgets. And okay. it's essentially the same function as a widget, but instead of taking up like 25 to 50% of your screen space uh, with the widget, it resides in its own icon. And then when you tap on it, it pops out the widget instead of just always being there. Hmm. Right. So it's kind of like a, like a quick view of an app almost like, so for like a, like a calculator, you can have your calculator widget, but instead of just always being there, taking up again, like 30% of your screen, it just sits in the icon, you tap on it, it comes out right away. You don't have to wait for the app to load, which I don't know, might be unnecessary, but it's it's an interesting approach to it, I think. Yeah. And they have another thing with like the launcher, how right now on Android, when you, when you hold down uh, the home button and then swipe up, it goes to your Google uh google search yeah but the way that the blackberry launcher set up is there's you have the customized i think it's customized or it's, or it's hard set but to either your text your bbm or email or something from that same launching function like other android launchers mm. have that which that's not new but it's interesting they're baking that into their default experience same with like right. icon packs they have customizable icon packs already in there you don't have to download an icon launcher and then to customize it there's already within your blackberry uh priv settings to have icon right. packs so it's it's almost like they're taking what's already out there from a customization basis and baking that into the experience mm-hmm. and i've i'm just not the kind of person to go out and look for ways to customize my phone but if my operating system already gave me those options i'd probably play around with them a lot more so sure if if they release or if someone comes up with a uh a downloadable uh, uh, ROM to put the BlackBerry Priv software on my phone. I might, I might do that just to try it out. Right. Cause I, yeah, like, like you, I don't have any desire for a physical keyboard. I use my swiping typing most of the time. Right. So yeah. I, I think a lot of people come to, they look at new tech stuff, like a swiping keyboard and think, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm good at typing. Learning this new thing seems difficult. And I, at the, when they start off, they're not very good at it. And I think a lot of people are also using older phones where the hardware isn't necessarily as good and able to keep up with it. Like I notice when I, if I'm using SwiftKey as an example, that's the keyboard I use on both my my iPhone that I use every day and the the Android smartphone I've been using for the last couple of weeks. It's very obvious the difference that the software has when you're talking when you're using it on different hardware like using swift key on ios is completely like at 60 frames a second it's completely smooth whereas using it on android it's kind of juddery and the the google, google keyboard does a lot better job yeah. at it but the swift key keyboard i i think i like more overall but i can't use it on android because it's just too juddery 
What difference do you have or have you noticed between SwiftKey and the Google keyboard? Not huge differences, but that that being the main difference that I've noticed. So why not just use a Google keyboard on your That's what I've been using. Oh, okay. It, it, the the nice thing about SwiftKey is that it syncs your kind of key map, I think they call it. Uh, so if you for instance you miss kind of like if you're if you're swiping around past the E key to hit E on your way to a word. Yeah. And you always kind of miss it by a millimeter. It will learn that, and right. it will make the virtual e larger than it looks. Oh, okay. And so, I've found that very valuable having that sync between devices. Yeah. And just keep track of all of the all the stats I have and their their prediction stuff. So my dictionary, for instance, is also synced across the two. Uh, yeah. So that that's the main reason for that. Right. I don't know. I wouldn't be too upset with a physical keyboard just because, like, I do like swipe and I use it a lot. But I feel as though the number of times I have to do or I have to differentiate between were and we're and stuff like oh, that. Oh, man. Yes. And wheel and well and aisle and ill. It's like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Id and I'd. I, yeah. Mine never predicts I'd. It goes I-D. Yeah. It's like, really? Yeah. It's like, as much as I like to talk about Freudian psychological <laughs> theory, no, I am going for <laughs> I'd, the past tense yes. of I, or, you know. Yeah. The or the con- abbreviation of I would. Contraction. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the the thing that I have, the the, the fe- way I feel, I guess, is the best way to put it about a physical keyboard is the same thing I feel about a car. When you need it or when you want it, it's so convenient and amazing. But when you don't want it, it's still there and it annoys you. It's not, though, because it's a slider. No, but it's still there. Like, imagine if it's that keyboard not. wasn't there. The phone would be so much smaller. What? No, it wouldn't. The screen slides over the keyboard. No, but I mean in, in volume, not not necessarily in. I I still disagree. No, but that's the way I feel. Okay. Like no matter how much, no matter how small it can be, like the fact that it, ha- it slides out to have the keyboard, like it's 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 a nice way to put a keyboard in there, and that it'll go away if you don't want it. But it's still there. It's still physically taking up that room, which is Rob, something a car Rob, does. Like if Rob, you have a parking space everywhere, Rob, a car is incredibly Rob, convenient. But the fact Rob, is. There are places you can't. Rob, Yo. Rob, nobody cares about your feelings. <laughs> well, that's not true. I care about my feelings. Well, Julia might too, but you're not the you're not the majority here. Well, I know, but there there are people that feel <laughs> the same way as I do. I'm not alone in this. This, this isn't a debate or a competition. We're just talking. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It. Yeah. If if you've ever tried to park a car downtown during rush hour during peak hours, you know that like that's the way I feel about a keyboard. Like I. I'm just like, I would love to just be able to get out I of this car. I think that's a very poor analogy and a bad reason, but no, I know but that's I know the same way I feel. It's that I'm trying to explain with an analogy the way I feel, and that's that's the way I feel. Rob just slides that, out the keyboard. Oh, this is so cumbersome. I hate it. I just hate it so much. That's, that's not really what I'm saying. It, it would be nice, and that's okay. why Uber, I think, is finding itself being so popular, is that when you don't want a car it, it you don't need to have a physical car there but like when you if you don't want a keyboard yes it slides away but it's still physically there and i'm I, if i had it like the reason that i've avoided phones that have physical keyboards for forever is that that's the way i feel i i would still know it's there and it would still bother me that it's taking up all that space when you can have a software keyboard like not only that but like you you don't on the on a phone with a physical keyboard. You don't have a number pad. You don't have alternate keyboard. You have to do tricks with software or 
having different keys mapped to different places depending on context. Like there are a lot of things that get more complicated with a physical keyboard compared to a software one. And and so just for me, I'm not trying to extrapolate to every human alive. Some people really like the physical keyboard, but I'm saying for me, it's very rigid and it it doesn't go away. It, you're constantly having to carry a keyboard around with you with your phone, even though it slides away neatly beneath the phone, which is a great piece of design for someone who wants a physical keyboard. Yeah. I wouldn't want that trade-off. 50 extra grams you have to haul around every single day of your miserable life. Okay. Right. So well, you guys exactly. didn't answer my question about if this, like what the future holds for BlackBerry. Are they going to just stick to hardware now? Oh, God knows. I, I think it depends on enterprise because if they're successful and they can reach enterprise again with this, I think they'll be able to do well in that area. But if they're trying, to, if they end up just competing with other Android phones, then it obviously won't go well for them because it's more expensive. It's more complicated. They're, they're trying to differentiate themselves in ways that I think most smartphone users don't necessarily care. The only people who are going to care are people who have stuff to, to keep like corporate secrets, for instance, being the most obvious one. But I don't think the sort of black and white edgy type of marketing they're going for is going to target enterprise all that well. I think it's going to be their outreach to enterprise and existing business, uh, that they've had that's going to be like, wow, this is a good focus on security and privacy. I'm going to do this. But if they're just trying to differentiate themselves to normal Android customers, I don't think that's going to work very well because there are a lot cheaper alternatives that where people won't notice the difference. Yeah. Can, can you Thank imagine you. if the government of Canada started getting contracts again and Rob had to have one for work? If it's for work, if they're going to give me a phone, I don't, I don't have to use it. Yeah. I would... Like I just used Outlook on my phone to connect my email when I worked there. And I, yeah. that's what I would always do. My, I use my iPhone the same way. That's what I use my yeah. iPhone for is email. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't use my, if they gave me a BlackBerry Priv at work, I wouldn't ever use that phone. When I when I did have one back when I was working for a different uh, team at NSERC for three or four months, not that I, I a, didn't get many calls on it anyway, so it didn't really matter. But when I did call people or when I did want to do something, I would just do it on my phone because I got, I had my email there, I had my calendars, I had everything that I needed there. Yeah. So it's not, it's not really necessary to me. Yeah. I think what you were saying before was, was interesting with, it's not going to make a difference to people because your average user is going to walk into their Fido store, their Tele store, Best Buy, and they're going to say, okay, I'm looking for either an Apple or an Android phone. Mm -hmm. And they're going to look and they're going to look at the price first. And that's really all they're going to, and they're, they'll say, oh, does it work with whatever? Like if you have, if you have some sort of peripheral or accessories, like, oh, does this work with my headset or whatever? And as long as it kind of checks off those boxes, they're not going to care if it has, you know, a nifty little thing with the operating system or, you know, the physical keyboard might in that case be a selling point. It's like, oh, that's cool. That's actually worth getting that phone because of that. But the finer details with how, you know, the privacy or how the operating system works, that probably won't make a huge difference. Right. versus just the price itself yeah are we done with the priv for now that, i think that was a very good conversation but i feel like we should probably move on yeah uh next up we have we have some world news about specifically i think relating to energy in different places in the world uh, nick why don't you why don't you start us off i shall uh geothermal power in kenya apparently kenya is going through a bit of a power revolution the federal government is investing heavily in geothermal power generation and okay. 
apparently the the current generating capacity in Kenya is something like 2000 megawatts or something like that but they could stand to quintuple it with the projects they're looking at but i mean obviously the the main detractor with geothermal is that you have to burrow down like three kilometers or something like that right maybe it's more maybe i'm misremembering that but it's on that order of magnitude here you gotta dig a big hole and two-thirds of the cost of any geothermal project come from the construction because after that it's more or less passive you're just tapping into the heat of the earth right and i don't know it's it's interesting because there's it sounds like there's so much generating capacity there just going untapped and if it's there in kenya i'm sure that you could electrify a lot of uh a lot of africa along the same lines Mm -hmm. and i wanted to get your guys thoughts like what do you know what are your thoughts what are your feelings on geothermal just to start with uh mike do you want to do you have anything you want to say right off the bat from my understanding and exposure to it it's very similar to exploiting hydrocarbons but you're essentially directly getting your energy from what you're drilling versus having to refine and burn the resources. So, and you know what you're saying about how far down you have to go and, and the cost, that's exactly the same thing with oil and gas. You're essentially going three kilometers below the ground and all of your up for all of your costs is the upfront drilling and construction. When, once you've drilled the well, then you're just letting it produce. So that's uh, I think in that sense, and because that's kind of the alternative energy generation anywhere really then it shouldn't be that much of a stretch to go to geothermal if that's what's more readily available in kenya right now oh man mike if the oil and gas industry does plummet and suddenly we're looking for more power that isn't based on oil and gas could you you personally mitigate your you know exposure by being able to drill deep holes yes i could and there's actually a there's an association in canada called kangia and it's Canadian Geothermal Energy Association or something. And they're, they're big proponents, obviously, of geothermal. And they're trying to kind of get the government on the same page with that and looking at exploiting that as kind of a future energy source. Hmm. And yeah, from my understanding, it is a lot more sustainable than, than hydrocarbons because it's just kind of continually being produced. But I, I haven't looked too much into the geological specifics of how it's the energy is generated, but the principles very similar to to oil and gas well i mean in geothermal i don't remember what the the heat transfer mechanism is but you bring the heat up you boil water turns to steam spins a turbine same old song and dance in this case as you always convection sorry convection in this case um when we first started talking about this i immediately went wait kenya isn't like the middle kind of eastern side of africa uh, I've been hearing a lot of things in the last hundred, well, not hundred years, but before the last hundred years, <laughs> I've been hearing about uh, the the Rift Valley in Africa. The, like the continent is splitting, and it's splitting right there in Kenya. Like the the Rift Valley, that's what's causing it's oh. it's new magma welling up to form uh, the new continent. That's where the energy is coming from. Okay, so it's less transferable, right? It's it, this is a very specific region in the world where there's just a bunch of hot earth coming up and uh love that so hot earth yeah they're taking taking full advantage well apparently Wait, um, so, Iceland, well, what, are you, what are you saying i don't understand what you're getting at with that the the, the 
continents are splitting right there. Right. Like it's it's been happening. And so there's new magma coming up. Like there's new crust coming up to fill yeah. the void. Yeah. Just like it is in the middle of the, I guess, both oceans, like both Pacific and Atlantic oceans. There's It's forming new land there. And the way that happens is that new earth is coming up to fill right. the void and it's hot. Right. It's coming from below. Yeah. Well, the geothermal activity is not res- like restricted just to those types of zones, though. But this is, it's a very active zone. Sure. This yeah. specific rift valley. Right. And that's why, and you're saying that's why they want to exploit it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know that, um, I think it's Iceland. Yeah. They, they, they do a lot of geothermal because it's yeah. just seismically active or some such. Tectonic and they also, active, yeah. thank yeah. you. They also have, uh, they also have a lot of hydropower just because it's mountainous and in the middle of the ocean. So lots of rain, lots of hydro potential. And for a long time, their power was so cheap that a lot of aluminum was smelted there because, because of a quirk of, you know, economics, it was cheaper to load aluminum ore onto a cargo ship, ship it to Iceland, have them refine it in Iceland, and then send the aluminum back. Mm-hmm. It was cheaper to do that than to refine it all there. And that's also why Quebec has a lot of, or used to anyway had a lot of aluminum uh, mining, smelting, yada, 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 because they have so right. much hydropower up in the north. Mm. But I don't know. Um, maybe Mike can answer this. Do you think this has applications in Canada at all? Which part? The geothermal? Geothermal. You just asked me that already. Did I? <laughs> yeah. I, I'll answer again and say, yeah, I, I do think it's, it's something that should be looked at. Oh, Obviously, yes. we're not as... We have a lot more diversity in our energy generation right now, as we talked about earlier in the show. So mm-hmm. I don't think we'd be as reliant on it as places that that's kind of their only uh, alternative energy source. But it's definitely something that should be should be looked at, especially because we have devoted so much energy and, and time into developing the oil and gas exploitation that you may as well use those same resources to exploit the geothermal because it should be a very short leap to, to looking at a different type of essentially a different type of resource being Mm. geothermal versus oil and gas. Okay. I think I, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to say before we move too far away from the whole like economic efficiency of places that have energy versus places where it's cheap to do things. uh, If people knew, if everyday people knew just how many different industries use that tactic of shipping stuff across oceans to process it somewhere else, I think they would go a little bananas thinking about it. Like most textiles are the same way where they just ship fabric across continents, across oceans to have it sewn up and then shipped back to be sold. Didn't we talk about the TPP last week or is it, or is that you guys that talked about it? I think think it it might've, I think it was you two that I think we had a big discussion on it. Yeah. In East Beast West, you guys talked about it. Oh yeah. We talked about it with Matt. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And how that's, that's why you have trade agreements is to do that for each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all I had to say. Also, and you know, a fun note: a lot of bananas are exported across oceans because, yes, you know, the travel of bananas will drive you bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying, Nick? <laughs> no, I was going to say because geothermal. If you're looking at uh, renewable and sustainable forms of energy, the big problem is baseline energy, and currently, the only technology in Canada, anyway, that seems prepared to deliver baseline energy is nuclear, but geothermal well geothermal and or 
I wanted to say the other thing and I just said the same thing again. Biomass is often pointed to to deliver baseline energy. But, I mean, there's only so much biomass that you can generate and then burn for power. Right. But geothermal, I assume you'd have to go deeper in Canada than you would in Kenya to get the same kind of uh, return. But I don't know what else you would use for that for that baseline power in a renewable sustainable power mix. Right. What's the, what's the definition of baseline power? Uh Just- so baseline power is it's similar to kind of baseline load in that you need some power there all the time so that people can do stuff when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. Right. As opposed to like peak generation stuff like that where and that's that's one thing where solar and wind is supposed to be really good for because solar especially tends to coincide with periods of peak demand for people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, heavy Oddly industry enough. is off. Yeah, <laughs> yes. crazy, right? Heavy industry is often going just full guns when the sun is shining brightest. Yeah. And so a lot of solar generation and stuff like that is good to you know, deal with those periods of peak demand and solar and wind tend to be complementary. Um, so that's how you deal with, you know, people wanting to do things during the day, but you still need someone to keep, keep, you know, electric baseboard heating or whatever going at night so that people don't freeze or to charge your Tesla for the next day's driving. Right. And stuff like that. And that's like baseline being not necessarily scalable, like gas fired plants are. Mm hmm. Because gas you can easily scale to deal with on peak demand, but uh, nuclear not so much. Yeah, I think that's where batteries come in, though. That ideally, when when well, it's off peak, you shouldn't need that much energy. Enough. Yeah, but that's a lot of batteries. It is. That's, that's <laughs> fair, but I think we're heading in that direction. Yeah, but ideally. I mean, the hope is you would have something like biomass or, I mean, geothermal. Maybe nuclear, especially, is good for it to just you know keep things humming well nothing else is generating yeah right when there are a lot of companies out there that do the direct heat geothermal for households like which is different from geothermal energy generation like it's Mm -hmm. same you're targeting the same type of thing but your uh the goal is different you're not trying to generate energy with the direct heat you're just trying to use the heat that's around you to kind of direct it towards your house yeah sure yeah and apparently that's like a 20-year cost recuperation or something like that yeah but, it's probably mm-hmm. mm. sorry i'm also trying to move my computer on the fly because the sun is moving <laughs> <laughs> and by the sun is moving i mean we are the moving around moving. the sun <laughs> look at me being all geocentric yes <laughs> uh speaking of solar there's another another story from around the world you want to talk about neg i do Morocco is poised to become a solar superpower. Holding for gasps. Three, two, what? Why Morocco? Intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit that to make it make sense. <laughs> so what? Oh. What is? The, what is the news itself? Um. Well, Morocco apparently occupies a lot of desert, and what's desert good for? Solar power. Solar. Woo. Isn't that where they put when they when they make those diagrams that show yeah. the the amount of solar <laughs> panels the earth could run off? It's like northern Africa. 
That's where they put the solar panels. Yeah, they put it in the middle of the Sahara. They're like, look, this is all the space we need to occupy. And it's like, that's great because transmission costs aren't a thing. (laughs) This is spectacular. (laughs) Why didn't we think of that before? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all we have to do is tell whatever population is there that their needs are no longer important. Right. But yeah, I mean, similar to... Arizona and the states, you have these vast swaths of land that are all they're really doing is pumping out sunlight. And mm-hmm. if you put something there to collect it, you know, you'd be free energy. You'd be <laughs> doing pretty well in terms of your energy needs. But Morocco is currently working on doing a few super projects and it's deserty, deserty, vast expanses of land. But I feel this speaks to some issues with solar power, and I'd like to get your thoughts. One thing worth mentioning is that it's not, uh, what do you call it, like normal solar panels. They're okay. parabolic reflectors focused mm. on you know a very small steel pipe, which is painted black or some such, and it's carrying something. The heat transfer medium is going at 393 degrees Celsius, which... Wow. It's yeah, hot. it's pretty high, right? <laughs> um and they're looking to they're looking to generate 580 megawatts with an wow. area as large as Morocco's capital city. And their their first installment is generating 160 megawatts. Right. And it's crazy. Oh man, I just had the link where to go. I was going to compare that to, you know, Alberta's power statistics. Right. I think that's roughly comparable with all its wind. Yeah. Alberta's wind is currently 733 megawatts. So it's they're looking to make on the order of as much power as Alberta's wind generation produces. Right. But I thought it was interesting in that a lot of these large solar projects, you almost always hear about people doing the the solar panels, the things that directly generate uh direct current yeah but you almost nobody ever talks about this kind of stuff where you have solar reflectors on you know flashing water to steam and spinning a turbine but in terms of mega projects that's usually what happens and i'd like to get your thoughts on that just the two different what systems compared of collecting solar well energy from the sun sure however you interpret that question rob i want to hear your thoughts <laughs> I mean, they're both interesting. Obviously, I would hope that some amount of research has gone into this project that has determined that this is the more energy efficient and less cost overall. Yeah. Like, they go through the balance of factors and figure out that this is the most efficient way to do it. Uh, then more power to them. I don't, I don't think there's a huge amount of difference. I know that uh, solar panels tend to take a lot more precious metals to actually make efficient. Whereas these reflectors are probably cheaper to, well, they're definitely cheaper to make, but they're probably sort of cheaper from a geological slash uh, precious metal type of sense. So mm-hmm. you will probably be able to make this at scale a lot more easily. And I'm assuming that, that I'm assuming that efficiency is pretty good, given that efficiency is often proportional to the the hot reservoir versus the cold res- reservoir. Yeah, that differential. Yeah. <laughs> If your hot yeah. reservoir is almost 400 Celsius, that's pretty good. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Obviously, every place needs to size and and specify its power generation according to its needs. So I don't. I'm not familiar with what Morocco is looking for, but I'd, I'm just only assuming that solar and the I don't know what you'd call this. I guess it's still solar, just not solar panels or photovoltaic. It generates power differently. Like it's it's still you can generate you know however many gigawatts, but the current or amperage or however you want to call it capabilities are probably different between the two mm, i'm right i can only imagine you know spinning a turbine versus having to to store the the power in a battery and then step it up and all that kind of stuff so i don't know enough about power engineering to know what the differences exactly are but i'd imagine there are differences that came into play that caught that caused them to do this and and yeah maybe the prohibitive cost of the solar panels themselves were part of that yeah um Ooh. I I, th- I think that there's a lot more maintenance required with this when you're dealing with extreme heat and flowing water and spinning turbines versus a fairly non-eventful solar panel energy collection. So there's that to take into consideration, but um, it's definitely a different approach. And like Nick, you were saying, you don't really hear about these as much as you do with the photovoltaics. So yeah, apparently another big part of this is that you know, it's heating these things up to incredibly high temperatures, but there's also a storage tank where the heat can be transferred okay. and it can be stored up to eight hours. And so that can kind of deliver some of your off peak demand as well, which without batteries is not something you can do with photovoltaics. By the way, Mike, thank you for saying the word photovoltaics because I had been searching for that mentally for <laughs> tens of minutes and coming up, just coming up completely blank. Huh. So, the, yeah. uh, Did you guys see the picture of this of the farm? It looks yeah. crazy. I just clicked into it. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. And even like I remember reading in high school about solar power and you know all the different ideas they had for what solar power could be. And a lot of the really large scale power plants they had envisioned in like the 70s or whenever those books were from. Mm-hmm. A lot of it had to do with mirrors and some, you know, something to point the mirrors at. Yeah. Huh. I, reading about what their goals are is very interesting. Talking about, like, they're already looking at uh, transportation lines to cover basically the entire country and countries around it. And uh, obviously, the the Muslim faith is very important in, in Northern Africa and in the Middle East. And they say that the ultimate objective given by the king is to get to Mecca, to power Mecca. I imagine that would be incredibly valuable sort of politically and culturally to be the ones providing power for, for such a important place. Um, it's interesting that that is the ambition because when you talk about sort of going international, you think, Oh, you know, applying this, what we've done here, applying the the stuff we learned in this project to other projects of a similar nature, but they're like, no, we're just we're going to keep doing this. And then they've they've a total of three different plants that they're looking to get done by 2017. And they're just like, no, we don't want to we want to just send our electricity. They want to make more than they need and then ship it out and presumably charge people for it. And in fairness, that's that can be an important economic factor. Yeah. Definitely. Like uh, Quebec makes a lot of money from that based on their their uh, power projects in James Bay. Right. For sure. Yeah. Anything else you want to say on the, the Moroccan solar power? Oh, there is one thing I want to say about it. I, I absolutely adore this project and the kind of stuff they're doing with it. it. It sounds really exciting. But at the same time, 
it's just I I can't see this applying to Canada at all. No, not really. Which is too low. Sad. The sun. Yeah. yeah. Too. We're too far north. Yeah. Maybe. What if we set up like ten meter high panels right along the U.S. Canada border, all the way across, just the best possible way to get solar power from from the lowest possible latitude longitude well, and you know the best the best part of that is you keep out the dirty foreigners that keep trying to sneak in and take advantage of our free health care exactly they're, they're they're bringing their it's crime and their guns and and it's yeah. just terrible if we could if we could build a wall of photovoltaic yes. panels mm-hmm. and i will dual, just uh, yeah dual purpose very good I wonder if anyone else has talked about building a wall like this. <laughs> Not like this. <laughs> Can you imagine if Trump's wall on the U.S.-Mexican border was just covered in solar panels and be like, there, the green people will love me. <laughs> I think it'd be a lot more popular. I mean, still unpopular overall, but more popular. Deadpan sarcasm is still my favorite. Just, yes. Just my favorite. <laughs> All right, we have one more energy story here. We don't have to talk about this for too long, but I thought it was pretty important uh, in terms of international implications. Uh, this week, the New York Times reported and a bunch of other news, news outlets reported that uh, China has been burning something like 15% more coal than their government actually let on, which is not a very, very non-trivial amount of energy because China has been going through sort of an economic surge and most of it is coal-powered. And it turns out 15% of China's coal output is very similar on the same order of magnitude as the entire United States coal production. Uh, so I don't. Uh, I thought this was incredibly interesting and just kind of gives you a glimpse into, yes, we talk a big game internationally, different countries about energy production and how they're making energy and how it's affecting our climate, how it's affecting sort of economy in general. And, but it, it's just like this This was discovered. It wasn't like China said, actually, we've been lying about this the whole time. It was discovered that, oh, that this, these numbers are actually a lot bigger than they had ever reported they were. I don't know. Do you guys have anything, any, any thoughts on this? Did you hear about this before? I mean, I knew that they were really booming on coal power. Mm-hmm. And that's just, they're still, I think they're officially classed as a developing country. Like they're, they're pretty... They're pretty good at industrialization, but a large part of the country still doesn't have things like running water. Right. So, I mean, they're they're industrializing in the way that nations have historically industrialized is to burn coal. But yeah. so the the differences are from between the year two thousand and now uh, this coal usage, and this is. <laughs> Right before there's the big summit, I think we even mentioned it on this show or possibly on East Meets West. There's a big climate change summit going on uh, with the UN in Paris this year. And yeah, it's coming up. Talk of, yeah, Canada sending a big conglomerate. But it's interesting that they've been making a bunch of promises to reduce their dependence on coal. And then it comes out that for the last 15 or so years, they've been using a bunch, a whole bunch more than they ever said. Maybe they meant they were going to actually start doing what they said they've been doing. Mm. that's probably what they meant that would be a big step yeah to reduce (laughs) oh man yeah it's like crazy what are they gonna do otherwise though like they're gonna burn what they're gonna what they're gonna burn like right you just like they gonna burn what they gonna burn (laughs) ain't nothing you can do about it 
it's true though like what else yeah yeah i don't know it's it's unfortunate but it's like well it's yeah we're in a worse position than than we originally thought i guess it's the earth's climate and it's unfortunate they can have an effect on it like there there's talk every time they have international summits they had the olympics they literally have to basically turn off their economy and turn like ban cars from the roads for several days and turn off factories uh in order to have the skies be clear because otherwise it's just super smoggy basically across all of uh at least the eastern side of china it's crazy that's that's all i really want to say on that but worth worth noting and hope like we'll have to obviously see what happens with this uh with the revelations at this this climate change conference well i mean and at, at at the same time, they are they have built the world's largest hydroelectric dam, mm-hmm. which is so big that it actually affects Earth's. I think it's Earth's <laughs> rotation. rotation somehow. Yeah, yeah. But you know, technically, spinning around in place affects your rotation too. In a in a meaningful way, though, like in a measurable way. Yeah. Just that. But uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> like. I guess the only way to really encourage them to change would be to do like embargoes on them, but we need them way more than they need us. Yeah. Like we will rely on them for a lot of manufacturing and, and importing and stuff. And if they have the leverage in that sense, like we can't do, we can't do with them the same way we've done with Iran or Cuba or any of that kind of stuff. Right. We being right. North America mainly, cause that's kind of the yeah. U S led type stuff, but like, there isn't really anything we can do about this. And that's kind of what I mean. Like, well, what else are we going to do? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm. Uh, In that case, we'll wrap up our (laughs) world energy summit here. (laughs) And uh, we'll wrap up with one more story here. Mike, you wanted to talk about the biggest change Twitter has ever made to their platform since its inception, basically. What what happened this week? I think, I think going away without, with changing the manual retweets, I think that was that was a pretty big change too. I think it was this one. I really do. <laughs> this caused this the biggest big up. Change. This caused the biggest uproar for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for those who haven't either aren't on Twitter or have been living under a, a rock, I guess. First of all, get Twitter. Get Twitter if you're not on Twitter. Uh, they've gone away with their faves and switched it for likes, a la Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. They've literally copied Instagram and they now have hearts that signify likes instead of stars that were faves. Yeah, or but favorites. everything like it, it is the same. It's the same function, it, but yeah, just the name and icon have changed. Uh, according to Twitter, and this is kind of it's almost humorous that they found that people, new users, and maybe it's more they kind of alluded to cultural differences, but they found that having stars being called favorites it caused confusion and mm-hmm. people didn't use them as much as they used things like likes right so they they figure that calling it a like and changing it from a star to a heart because stars can mean anything in any culture like it's not universally mm. signifying something special or good mm-hmm. so the heart is more universally something signifying love or like and they f- they found that there's a lot more engagement when you change it to a like with a heart instead of having the fave as a star. It's more right. just the star is so was so iconic to Twitter that changing it was kind of like a sacred cow type thing that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people were upward about it. Um, now, one of the big things that came out of this is how do people use the favorite function? Like when I'm on there, I... I use a favorite the same way to use a like on Facebook usually. As now, do I. Some people use it for bookmarking, apparently. I don't know who, but 
because every profile has a separate tab for favorites that you can yeah. that you can go to and see who's favorited what. But for the vast majority of people, they use it the same way alike. So functionally, it doesn't change for me and for most people, I'd imagine. Yeah, I uh, I know there are a lot of journalists that were in uproar about this, basically because they do use it as a bookmarking thing. I have never particularly used it that way because there are a bunch of bookmarking services yeah. that do that and I'll do it a lot better. Um, but for me, first of all, I just wanted to point out, I, I switched over to my tab, which I've uh, TweetDeck open in my, the other tab. And I haven't refreshed this thing in like four days. So it still <laughs> has the stars. Like just pointing out, I, I was using it. I was using this tab earlier in the day and uh, it, it's still like if you click favorite, it still works. It works the exact same way. It's just a different yeah. icon, a different word. But uh, it, in terms of this change, I think it does. People were saying like the fact that the heart is red makes it 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 makes it seem a little more romantic than it would otherwise if the heart was a different color. Bunch of communists. I, I get, but it's just like this is a it's a social network. Nobody nobody thinks that you love them because you heart a tweet that they made that is that has never happened no well well hold on hold on now if i heart one of your guys tweets you will know that i mean that means i love you guys right of course well yeah you are different you're the exception to every rule good i just i wanted to get that you know straightened out as soon as possible (laughs) yeah um this is the smallest least consequential change that has ever really happened and i think it's it's one of those things that every news organization has to cover it every journalist has to get out their two cents about it and then a week from now it'll just be the way things are like what's happened with every other change that any social network has ever made it, it, things will change and then things will go back to running again because yeah. that's just what happens yeah yeah as i said like instagram has the hearts periscope has hearts Vine has hearts. Vine has okay, every. Vine has hearts. Yeah. So you know, even Facebook is coming out with more emoji-based reactions to to the posts. So it's, yeah, like it's relatively inconsequential, but it's more just the initial reaction was was something interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. So can you not view your your uh, liked tweets now? You can. Oh, they're just retroactively okay. changed. Yeah. Oh, so it's just it's exactly the same thing, different it's icons, exactly different word. Yeah. yeah. They even have Chrome extensions now that change the hearts to poop, like poop emojis. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you could have had that before. I think, yeah, I probably. Could have, and but they have ones that wow. you can change it so that they they go back to stars. I think, like, yeah, people, yeah. you can work around it. And if you're the only one seeing it, then that should serve your purpose. Yeah, I think I am going to download a certain extension, <laughs> a certain hilarious extension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't really think. There's too much uh, more to say about this, but it's more just kind of there's a there's a media news cycle and any change, any change in anything is going to get outraged people somewhere. I was just like, oh, you know, I've I've been saying this. I have like seven or eight different Twitter accounts on my phone. So if I would I could cycle through them and at any point during this beta testing, when some of the some of the accounts were likes, some of them were favorites, some of them had different designs for likes. Uh, the heart was in a circle or it was just on its own or there was a whole bunch of different things going on. And so it's actually kind of nice to have it be one thing again, as opposed to just wondering what's going on. I like change. So have you guys heard of a hate fave before? 
Yes. Works. Apparently, a th- that's like a sarcastic one. Yeah. Apparently, that's a thing that people used to yeah. hate fave. So, say for like one of Donald Trump's tweets, it was just right. so ridiculous that you you fave yeah. it, but it's like, wow, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But now people feel that because it's a like and a heart, you can't do the same thing. Like it you does absolutely can't do the same. It doesn't thing. get across the same emotion. It might even be better served. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I can't hate fave my. T- but like even that that happens on every social network like on facebook people like things and then like people like stupid bad things it just it, that's just the way humans are yeah i don't think changing the word makes any difference you guys you guys happy with this week yeah it was a good week yeah good because we're done for the week that was your chance to get in any last words and you did not take it uh thank you everyone for joining us for future chat this week uh, this episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Tell about the show and get a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day trial. You can visit audibletrial.com slash unwind. Uh, they're an audiobook service that has over 180,000 different audiobooks. And uh, go try one out today. You can help out support the show. If you, if you haven't tried it out, 30-day trial, why not? We'll be back here next week again with more Science and Tech Talk. And you can find past episodes of the show and more at unwindmedia.com slash futurechat. See you next time. Toodaloo. Ciao. All right, guys. Tweet just went out. If I don't see several hearts there, I'm going to be upset. Why did you dot all of our mentions? You don't have to dot the first mention. Really? I, I don't understand Twitter, guys. <laughs> so, Nick, <laughs> if, if, your tweet, if your tweet starts with an at symbol, yeah. it will only go to the people mentioned. who are mentioned unless a third party follows the two people involved. So I only have to dot the first one. Yeah. You only have to dot. You only have to put a non at character first in order for it to hit all your followers as opposed to just people who follow you and the person you added. Like a lot of the time I'll put just hey or so or something instead of a dot. I put hey. Because yeah, a dot kind of depending on who's reading it, it sounds, I don't say pretentious, but it's like, oh, to assume that I want to see your tweet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i know you used to do that quite a bit rob your dots. I, do, I used to do it yeah. quite a bit now i usually just use hey yeah. or just phrase it in yeah. a different way that doesn't start with the subject yeah interesting very See, interesting i taught you something about twitter you can teach me something about snapchat i, I knew what, that about twitter what, what do you need to know about snapchat how does it work what's the reason for snapchat editor's note the following several minutes of audio will be us teaching mike how to use snapchat if you already know how to use Snapchat, this will annoy and frustrate you, and we recommend you do not listen. There may also be mentions of penises. Your discretion is advised. Future chat after dark. Okay, so Snapchat okay, is... Hold on, l- the... let me pull it out, because I, I want to look at it as you're telling me, so that I, I get the full experience. Well, well, speaking of pulling it out, that is the primary <laughs> function of Snapchat. Is uh, I'm not sure it is, but... Isn't it? Isn't it? An app specifically designed to send self-destructing photos to one another. I get snaps every day and I've never gotten a penis. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm glad you didn't say nudes because I know I've sent you nudes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Mike. Okay, so you sent me this picture of your soy. You sent me this picture of your Soylent bottle, right? Yes. If If I was to write back, LOL, how would I do that? So, you see my name on the list of snaps 
like recent updates like, like this this is a right. screen i'm on right now okay go to the go, that's my story okay well, what's so the story all that's, that's where any it's basically like your timeline so anything you want to make public to anyone following you on snapchat okay you you send it to your story so, so you can am also i following send it to people here people. i didn't realize snapchat was a following thing yeah it's a following well you're, so you're following you your to, friends yeah okay so if you go to the the camera part okay for a second yeah. and now swipe down so on show something that's above where the camera is swiping like down this yeah okay so now you can see who's added you you can add people and you can see who your friends are but those are the people who you're going to see okay sure so now go back to the camera okay and then swipe again to the your thumb going to the right so you're now on the screen that's to the left okay now you have a list of all the oh. messages from people. so how many so, messages okay, so are how, there, how do i reply with text though so now swipe on any person you can swipe again why to is the there right. so much swiping it's, it's it. all gesture based <laughs> you why? can also hold on it to be fair why oh, is see? this happening it doesn't even you, say swipe this way to text it just it, it it bounces it gives you a little like bounce thing this is horrible this is it's great no. the kids love it <laughs> so mike you're on here now yes you swipe you've swiped again and now you have a, a thing open with yes. whoever you've swiped with so if you swiped on my name you will now see because I've also done the same thing. Your the yellow circle that was there. Did you see the yellow circle? Now it's yellow right yes, now. Yes, it's yellow now. And then if I go into the conversation, it turns blue. You see that? Yes, no. Yes. Okay, so now it's blue. So if you now send me, you're now sending me your live video. Right. And if I do the same thing, I also send you my video. Where did my video go? Oh, you have to my thumb. hold cool. it down. Okay. Where are you? I don't see. Oh, there you are. You can also lock the video. Okay. But so it's a live text. It's a live communication thing. You can send pictures. You can send text. You can send live video. Okay. And it, if you don't care about it, you don't have to use it. But no, it's, I, it's a very valuable real time communication. Now thing. that I know how to use it, I can use it when you guys send me stuff. Cause I'll, I'll look at something. I'll laugh about it. I'll, I'll want to say something about it, but I don't know how because right. there's, so there's no the, obvious the, way yeah. to do that. What the young people do is someone will send something to start a conversation and then the person will reply with their own picture of what, like basically the thing you have to get over with Snapchat is it's okay to send a picture of either your face making weird face or something right. or just your surroundings and just send that with text over top of it. Okay. And then there's a, there's a bunch of other stuff you can do, but that's the basic thing is like, you know, I, I want to communicate with this person and we can also send a funny face or something right. that's going on. Yeah. Gotcha. This this, this makes a lot more sense now. Thanks, guys. It's all you got to swipe around. <laughs> just too just too much swiping. I'm like swipe around. <laughs> swipe up, swipe up, and get down. I was swipe, like, swipe, I'm on, swipe, I'm on this screen. I, I open the app and it goes to as if I'm going to record video. I'm like, I don't want to record video, so I'm like, right. I'm tapping and stuff, and I'm like, this isn't doing anything. And then I get to this, so, I get to this screen, and I'm like, I'm tapping, and I'm like, I want to send a message, but it's just like but bouncing. Why can't I send a message it to just, this person? It bounces, this and that's, that's not telling me to swipe. That's just bouncing. It's indicating it's indicating where you should oh. where the hidden content is. All oh, the kids these days with the bumping icons. <laughs> so the the other thing you can do is once you when you're on the main page, once you've taken a picture or a video. You can swipe and add filters to it too. They have filters for your location, so I can see like Canada's capital right. as a picture. 
I can see uh, the current time. I can see the current temperature. I can see my current speed in kilometers per hour. And then there's a bunch of filters and yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. You can add text, you can add emojis, you can add, you can like draw on the picture. Gotcha. It's, it's very, there's a lot going on in this app. That's good to know. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know anyone who uses it enough to actually get around those hurdles. But now, yeah. now that I know, I can, I can snap you guys. You can. Exactly. You're empowered, Mike. I will, I will send you some penises, Rob. <laughs>